Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your spirit amongst us this morning and uphold us. Help us by your spirit to always have regard for your decrees. Help us to look at your word and see how we should live. And Lord, we pray that then we would put it into practice and live in the way that you would have us live, in the way that the Lord Jesus set an example for us to follow. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we are to begin a new series on the book of Colossians. I plan to finish at 1 Samuel 15, and we'll go back to that at some point. Uh, but I would planned to come into Colossians, and I didn't think it worth uh, deviating because I think the message that the Lord has providentially given us today from Colossians is helpful uh, with the situation that is going around at the moment with the coronavirus. Uh, the situation with Colossians, though, the church in uh, Colossae, was that uh, they were a, a new church planted uh, by Epaphras, uh, not by Paul. Uh, so Paul writes the letter, we see in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. He's got Timothy with him there. Uh, but he is writing this letter to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. It says there in verse 2. But then in verse 7, he talks about, uh, after talking about the gospel that they had heard, he says in verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. So Paul doesn't know the Colossians, but he knows of them through Epaphras. And he's seeking to give them some sort of encouragement. Uh, he's, he's in prison himself. Uh, we see in chapter 4, verse 3, a hint of that. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 4 says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So he's speaking of the fact that he is in chains there. Uh, so he's in prison. So he'd, he'd probably like to go and see the Colossians, uh, but he cannot because he is in prison. But he wanted to encourage the Colossians because uh, some sort of error had come into the church. And we'll look at that in coming months, uh, Lord willing, uh, that we will continue our series through uh, Colossians and we'll see the different errors that have come through and how the supremacy of Christ is again and again emphasised to the church in Colossae, that they should continue to look to Christ in all things. So Paul gives his usual greetings to the church in Colossae that we see in other letters of Paul's. Uh, of, uh, we see in verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father. It's a usual greeting from Paul. And then we look at this morning, what is one of the first things that he says to the church in Colossae? What does he want to say to them that would be a particular encouragement? And so we see in verse 3 what he says. Verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He wants to tell them that he is thankful to God for them. And it's always encouraging to know that someone is thankful for you. Uh, this is a, a something that is, uh, we see in our lives and in that movie, that old movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, is basically on the, based on the premise of if you were removed from the world, what changes would happen if you'd never been born? Uh, what impact would be upon the world? And so it's basically coming up and then the, the main character, well, I won't spoil the ending, but the idea is that he suddenly realises what an impact he's made upon other people and how thankful people are for his existence. And that's what Paul's wanting to do with the church in Colossae, to encourage them by saying, look, I'm thankful for you. You may be a bit down about different things, but I am thankful for you. But what is Paul thankful to God for? What is it in particular that he thanks God for regarding the church in Colossae? Well, verse 4 tells us uh, what he is thankful for. We read in verse 4, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. What is Paul thankful for? He's thankful for the faith of the church in Colossae. 
What is faith? Well, faith is a belief, a trust, a reliance would be another way that you could do it, on something or someone. And we then ask the question, if we trust, if Paul is thankful for their faith, their trust in something, what is it that they are trusting in that he is thankful for? They don't just have trust in general or faith in general. I still remember a university lecturer when I was uh, uh, studying at uni, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, she said uh, she attends Sea of Faith gatherings. And that basically there are celebration of all types of faith and you explore different types of faith and you're accepting of one another. It's a sea of faith. That's not what Paul is interested in, all different kinds of faith. No, he's interested in one particular faith, and that is the faith that he is thankful for. What is that faith in? What is that reliance on? Well, we read in verse 4, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. They have a faith in Jesus. And so many can say, oh, I trust in many things. And if you think of the chairs, you're trusting in chairs right now. And people say, I trust in many chairs. Oh, yes, I trust chairs, but will you trust this chair that is in front of you? Will you actually sit down upon it? It's not good enough to trust all chairs. It's a case of will you trust one? That will really show whether you trust chairs, whether you actually sit down on it. And that is what we see with Jesus Christ. It's not good enough to say, oh, I have all kinds of faith. I trust in lots of different things. No. The question is, do you trust in Jesus? Are you willing to sit down upon Christ, to rely upon him like the church did in Colossae? Because that is what Paul is thankful for, is this faith in Christ Jesus. You might want to picture this idea of you sit down on Christ, it's like a child sitting on a chair and even lifting their feet up onto the chair. We don't usually encourage our children to pick up their feet and put them on the chair if we can help it, but children's feet don't always make it down to the floor, so they're more inclined to pick them up and put them on the chair with them. And that's what it means to trust in Christ. You put all of yourself in dependence upon him. You sit down on him and lift your feet up and rely upon nothing else. So why then is Paul thankful for this faith of the Colossians? Why is he faithful, uh, thankful that they have faith in Christ Jesus? Well, verse 5 tells us. Verse 4 says, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Where does this faith and this love come from? It comes from the hope that is stored up for them in heaven. There's a connection with the hope that we have of eternal life, of salvation, the hope that we have of heaven. Paul is thankful for the faith in the Colossians because what does that mean? It means that they are saved, that they're saved from sin, from death, from destruction, from hell. They have an eternal inheritance to look forward to because of their faith, because of their faith in Christ Jesus. Not just faith in general, but faith in Christ Jesus. And so he is thankful because he knows they are saved. And this has always been the case. This is the gospel message that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved. And we saw it back there in Genesis chapter 15. The gospel was announced beforehand to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 it said, And Abraham believed, trusted, had faith in the Lord. He believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was considered righteous in God's eyes, which means he inherits eternal life. So Paul is thankful for the faith 
in the church at Colossae. What else is he thankful for? Well, in verse 4, we see that there's something else he's thankful for. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. He's not just thankful for the faith that they have, but also for the love that they have for all the saints. Now, what is love? What does it mean to love someone? Well, the Apostle Paul gives a good definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, where he says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's a definition of love for you. Paul is thankful that that love, as he defines there in 1 Corinthians 13, is being expressed in the church at Colossae. But who is this love for? Did you notice that it's a very specific love? Just like the faith was very specific, it had to be in Christ Jesus, who is this love for? Well, we read in verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. It is the love that they have for other Christians that Paul is thankful for, that they love one another. Now, why would Paul be thankful for the love of the Colossians? Because love proves true faith. Many people profess to have faith in Jesus Christ, but their faith is not true faith. How can you tell if someone is a true believer in Jesus Christ and has eternal life? It's by the love that they have for all the saints. Pagans love their friends. It's natural. They love their friends. Christians love all their Christian family. Why is that noteworthy? Well, because you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And it goes for the church family as well. Christians love even prickly Christians that they wouldn't normally want to be friends with, but they love them nonetheless. They love those that they even disagree with, may have profound theological disagreements with. We as Baptists will love even paedo-Baptists, those who baptise infants. We love them because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that love that we have for all Christians, even the prickly ones, even the ones that are a bit difficult to love, that proves a supernatural work has happened in the heart of the believer. They respond in a way that pagans don't respond to prickly people. They continue to love them, bear with them, show the things that are described in 1 Corinthians 13. They're not rude, they're not self-seeking, they're not easily angered, and they keep no record of wrongs. That's love. And so Paul is thankful that he hears of the church in Colossae, not just that they believe in Jesus Christ, but they also have love for all the saints. Not just some of the saints, but for all the saints. And so he knows that they really are saved, that they have that hope that produces both faith and love. So what does that mean for us today? Well, we too should be thankful to God in our prayers. Generally, grumbling and complaining are far easier instead of thankfulness. To have a thankful spirit is a difficult thing to have. It's easy to complain, to grumble. And generally, when we come to God in prayer, prayer for help is far easier, particularly when major problems show up, like the coronavirus that's going around at the moment. 
We are at a loss in some regard as to what to do in situations, and we can see our government rolling all the time and amending things, and they don't know what to do. And how many people are now praying prayers of help who normally wouldn't be praying prayers of help? And how many of those who are you're normally praying for prayers of help increasing the number of prayers that they have for help? It's far easier to pray prayers of help, particularly in major times of strife. And that's why we need to remember to follow the example of Paul and pray prayers of thanksgiving, even in times of great stress. Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. And there's a lot of anxiety going around at the moment. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We're meant to come to God with requests. Yes, there are lots of things you might be praying about at the moment. But we're meant to come to God with thanksgiving, Paul says. If we don't want to be anxious about anything, if we want to be having that peace that transcends all understanding, then we need to be coming to God with thanksgiving. But what could we be thankful for at a time like this, when people are getting terribly sick and even dying? What we would consider to be early deaths, that we wouldn't expect people to die at that time, when groceries are running out, when your investments are crashing, when your job is in jeopardy, when your entertainment activities are shutting down around you. It's a horrible time and we want everything to go back to normal. What could you be thankful for at this time? Paul tells us. What can we be thankful for? Firstly, we can be thankful for the faith we see in ourselves, but particularly the faith that we see in other believers. Why? Because it's a miracle every time someone believes in Christ Jesus. Everything is against people to believe in Christ Jesus. The world's against them, Satan's against them, their own flesh pulls against them so that they will not believe in Christ Jesus. But what do they do? They turn around and believe in a crucified king. It's a miracle. And so it's not surprising that Paul is thankful to God. Don't miss that point. He's not just thankful in general. Oh, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. But he's thankful to God. Why? Because God is at the bottom of every time someone believes. Faith is a gift from God. You do not produce it in yourselves. It is produced in you by God. And so we should be thankful for it as a miracle that we're delighted in. And why are we so thankful for faith? Well, I told you before why Paul was thankful for the faith in the uh, Colossians, the church in Colossae. It's because the faith that we see in others means that person is saved from death, from destruction, from hell, from sin. They are safe. They are saved if they have that true faith. I rang another Christian this week just to check up on the person to see that they're okay, uh, to see the person that you would consider to be a vulnerable person with the coronavirus. I'm just seeing that they're okay, that they have enough groceries and they're feeling well and healthy and these kinds of things, and is there anything else I could help the person with? And the person actually seemed fairly relaxed um, on the phone and said, at, towards the end of the conversation, said, well, maybe this is the way that I'm going to be called home. The coronavirus is going to come. I've survived a lot of other things, but... This is the way that God's actually going to take me home. And there was almost a peaceful resignation to the coronavirus going around. Now, why is that? Because the person knows that they're going home when they die. 
because they have faith in Christ Jesus. And what did that mean for me? My concern for the person was lowered as well because I know that they have faith in Christ Jesus and it'll all be okay. They're safe in the arms of God. Yes, we try and support them in some way as tools in God's hands, but ultimately they're safe in the arms of God. Even if they die, they're safe in the arms of God. So we, at this time when there's a lot of anxiety, what should we be doing? We should be thanking God for the faith that we do see in people. It's a miracle that there are so many people that we know that are thankful, uh, that uh, have faith in Christ Jesus and therefore are saved. But what else should we be thankful for God, to God for at this time? Well, it's, of course, for the love of believers that they have for all the other saints. Just as Paul was thankful for the love that he saw in the church at Colossae for other believers, we should be thankful too. Why? Because it's a true miracle once again. Whenever anyone loves another believer, everything is against a Christian to show love. The world, Satan, their own flesh. We much prefer to hate people than love people. But when God produces love in us, it is a miracle. When people help others, when people are concerned to give groceries, share their groceries of what they could find at the supermarket, when people want to give financial help to other believers as they are struggling, when people are willing to lend toilet paper to other people at this time, that's an act of Christian love. Although I shouldn't say lend when it comes to toilet paper, should I? It's more that you give it. If I give you toilet paper, I don't expect it back, thank you. Uh, you can keep it. Uh, but that's Christian love. There's a lot of people who are doing what is normal by the world's standards, by Satan's standards, by the flesh standards. They are hoarding things for themselves. They love themselves, but they do not love their neighbour as themselves. And so when we see Christians loving others, we should be thankful. Why? Because it's a miracle. But also because it shows that they are really saved, that we don't have to worry so much about them. When I see a Christian say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but also I see the way that they live, it's a wonderful confirmation to me that they are saved. I don't need to worry about them. They're safe in the arms of God. And it's just wonderful to see that. And it's been happening again and again in church history where people love other people love the believers, but also love those outside the church. And it shows that they are true Christians, and even non-Christians start to see it. I shared this week with the members uh, an email, in, in an email form, uh, the church historian Eusebius, uh, his account of what was happening in the second century during the time of a plague, and how the Christians were loving one another. And I, I'll just read it uh, for those of you who may have missed it. So Eusebius, the early church historian, he says... Then, this is during the plague, did the evidences of the universal zeal and piety of the Christians become manifest to all the heathens. For they alone, in the midst of such ills, showed their sympathy and humanity by their deeds. The Christians showed their humanity and their sympathy by their deeds. Every day, some continued caring for and bearing the dead, for there were multitudes who had no one to care for them. Others collected in one place those who were afflicted by the famine throughout the entire city and gave bread to them all. So that the thing became noised abroad among all men and they glorified the God of the Christians and convinced by the facts themselves confessed that they, the Christians alone, were truly pious and religious. So we too can be thankful when we see that behaviour happening today because it shows that they have true piety, true religion 
and true salvation. And that's why I'm so thankful for the faith and the love that I see in the members of Des Moines Baptist Church because I don't have to worry about your salvation. Yes, there's other things that I can worry about and and try and help you with, but I don't have to worry about your salvation if I see faith and love at work together. But do your prayers, as well as my prayers, reflect such thanksgiving on a regular basis? Do we thank God for the faith and love we see in others? How many people are we thanking God for because he has granted them faith and love? Thanking God for the peace of knowing that even if they die of a virus, a terrible virus, they will be okay. Do you realise the Spirit could have passed over those people that you love who are Christians and gone to the next person and they wouldn't have been saved? That they would not just be in danger of a virus, they'd be in danger of destruction in hell for all eternity. Consider that and be thankful for the faith that you see in others. And we should be considering our time at this time, uh, the situation that we're going through, of how we can spend time thanking God even more than we normally do. It's very interesting that Paul was in chains at this time, and the best guess is uh, for the period of Paul's life is that this is the time when he was actually under house arrest at the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28. If you want to read it uh, this afternoon, it would be a good exercise for you to do. Paul is under house arrest. Many people are in social isolation at the moment. They're under house arrest, so to speak. But what was Paul doing with his time? He was thanking God. He had so many reasons to be praying for release and the awful government and what's going on and the Jews who keep attacking. He had all kinds of prayers of supplication he could be praying. But what is he thanking God? And what is he doing? He's thanking God for the faith and the love that he sees in a church that he's never even met. Couldn't we be doing the same? Couldn't we be spending our time in thanking God while we have more time instead of watching and reading depressing news cycle after news cycle. You've got to be so careful. I found myself even myself being affected and Jill saying to me, Joel, I think you've just got to stop paying attention to the news so much. So I'm concerned about what we have to do as a church and so I think I'm justified there in paying attention more so than I would normally to the news. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with news, just generally speaking. But I've been finding myself sucked into it. And it can sap out the thankful spirit that you should be having. And even as our entertainment is crashing around us, events are being cancelled all over the place. Sport is being wiped out. The great Australian God has been reduced. People can't participate in it the way they should. And they can't even go to games and be entertained by it. Don't even know if it will continue on the television sets for long. What are you going to do with your time? Other entertainment is cancelled. I just found out this week that the show that I was going to go and see Hamlet at the Opera House, Shakespeare, been cancelled. I was going to go see it with, with my father. No Hamlet for us that Saturday. What am I going to do with my time? What are you going to do with your extra time? Can't you spend it thanking God? And if you don't know what for the faith and the love that you see in other believers. 
Couldn't we build in, not just while the coronavirus is going on, wouldn't it be good to build a time of thanksgiving into our lives every day? I did this a while ago, and I've been greatly helped by the exercise, and it's confirmed by my preparation for this sermon this week, by making sure that each day I spend some time, I set a timer, and I'm not allowed to ask God for anything. I'm not allowed to confess anything. I'm only allowed to say thank you again and again for different things. And it's a wonderful thing to do at the end of the day. You can just set a timer and you can even, I, I, I'll confess, I do it while brushing my teeth. That's a time where your mind can usually wander about all kinds of things. I sit there and I brush my teeth and I think through all the things that I'm thankful to God for and pray to him. Couldn't we do that? I thank God for the members. Go through your membership directory. Might get some toothpaste on it if you're not careful. But think of all the members that you have here at Des Moines Baptist Church and that they are saved and you know they're saved because of the faith and the love that they have for all the saints. What's another thing that we could be doing this morning, learning from this passage? First thing is that we should be more thankful. The second thing is that we should all examine ourselves for that saving faith and love for all the saints. Our very soul's salvation depends on whether we have faith in Christ Jesus. And don't just say, yes, I believe. Say, I believe in Christ Jesus. Ask that question. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Don't say, yes, yes, I sit on chairs. Ask yourself, do I sit on the chair that is Jesus Christ? Do I sit on Christ and Christ alone? Will you be found sitting on him on judgment day or when you pass away? It could be sooner than you think that you pass away and are judged whether you sat on Christ and Christ alone. This may be my final sermon to you. You never know what's going to happen to me in the week to come or whether you'll even be able to gather next Sunday. We've tried to do it this Sunday and we'll keep trying as best we're able. But this may be my final sermon to you. It may be the final sermon you hear ever. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone? All other chairs, they bend and snap eventually with enough pressure. It's awful to see a chair collapse under someone, particularly when it's a chair in your house and the person's a visitor. It's terrible to see the chair buckle and the person land on the ground. And it can be even fatal for people, depending on the size of the person and the age of the person. Remember when the book of Samuel was studying Eli. How did Eli die? The chair toppled back and he broke his neck. It's awful to see a chair snap and bend under someone. And it's eternally fatal to sit then on any other chair than Christ Jesus. All other chairs will bend and snap if you're trusting in anything else to keep you alive and eternally alive, it will break. Even our healthcare system at the moment, many people trust in our healthcare system, but what is being shown, a lot of the economic distress that we're experiencing at the moment is because people don't trust the healthcare system to be able to keep us alive with the coronavirus. The healthcare system is bending and snapping. It's not a chair you wanna rest upon. They rest upon eternally. You want to rest upon Christ. And stacking other chairs upon Christ is not going to do it either. You can't sit 
on Christ along with other gods or other things. I've seen people in our church hall try to sit on stacked chairs there, and it's not a wise thing to do. If you sit on at least three of them, we have them up at the side. I've seen people, oh, they just sit down while they have their biscuit. They can't be bothered to find a chair that's on its own. What ends up happening? The chairs all start to lean forward and the person has to stand back up quite rapidly and usually spill some coffee on themselves if they've got a coffee in their hand. If you try to stack chairs upon Christ, if you try to worship him plus other gods, you'll be forced to stand back at judgment day and be swept away with the rest of the wicked. Do you rest on Christ alone? But once you sit on the chair, that is Christ, you can relax knowing that your salvation is secure. Do you trust in Christ right now? How do you know if you really do? You may be struggling with assurance now, and you want to know, do I really trust in Christ? Well, do you channel your energy into loving others? That's how you can tell if you've got a true faith, is do you love others and particularly other saints? Because this description here of uh, the faith in verse 4 is actually, it's, it's an unusual way to put it when it says faith in Christ. It's more living in Christ, not so much resting on him, but living in him. And so if we were to give the best picture, I was trying to work out a different illustration for this, but the chair idea still seems to work well. But think of a chair that's more like a pod chair. You know these pods where it's sort of a big uh, oval around you? And you can get ones that are sleep pods. I've always liked the idea of that. A chair and you can put a a screen around the front and you can have a nap uh, without disturbance. And uh, yeah, so think of that. That's what we are in Christ. But then think of a, a giant one that can accommodate many, many people. And so you're just a little person walking around on the surface of that chair. That's what it's meant to rest in Christ because you're on Christ, but then you're also interacting with others in love on that chair together. You're not sitting down with assurance of salvation and watching copious amounts of television. No, you're sitting on Christ or standing on Christ on that giant chair and interacting with others. That's how you know if you are saved. You're resting on Christ, but you're resting with others and loving them. That's what Galatians 5 Verse 13 tells us, the Apostle Paul says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. We're free, set free from sin, destruction. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Is that you? Or are you indulging the sinful nature with your freedom? And you're not serving others in love. Well, then you have to question whether you truly are saved. But if you do see yourself serving others and not indulging the sinful nature, then you can have the assurance that your faith is a true faith and you are saved in Christ Jesus and you can rejoice. If we see ourselves loving others, we have reason to rejoice because our faith is true and we are saved and we have nothing to fear, even deadly viruses. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who is gracious and merciful and grants salvation by faith to your people. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not thanking you enough for the faith and love that we see in others. 
and help us to be more thankful in the days and years to come, despite what is going on around us. So many people aren't going to be very thankful at this time, that there's going to be a lot of ingratitude. Oh, Lord, may we stand out as a people who can be thankful, even in the midst of great suffering. And, Lord, we pray that if there is anyone in this room who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, oh, Lord, grant faith and love to them now so that they have eternal salvation. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.